Welcome back everyone. As you know, I've taken an extended break from the facts to focus on my second book, How Work Works, The Subtle Science of Getting Ahead Without Losing Yourself, which will be out on October 10th. I'm so excited to share that we have a new season of the facts where I will share everything you need to advance in the new world of work. To date, The Fix is focused on sharing stories of people who are taking action to build workplaces that work for everyone. I now want to share what you can do to advance at work and find meaning and fulfillment beyond a job description. People always assume that diversity and inclusion are somehow separate from real work or career advancement. But I'm hoping that through The Fix, I can reveal how the new world of work requires a new way of working that just so happens to be more inclusive. The future really is inclusive. The Fix is your career playbook for the new world of work. Every week, I will share insights, research, and actionable tips for how to advance at work without losing yourself. Before we start, just a quick request. If you like our podcast, then please hit subscribe now and leave a review. You can also sign up to our newsletter and get in touch at www.thefixpodcast.org. For those of you who don't know me, I'm your host, Michelle King. I'm an expert on workplace cultures. My new book, How Work Works, is comprised of 20 years of academic research examining corporate culture. The substance of my work and research over the last two decades is the substance of this new book. Based on my work, what I know for sure is that at one time or another, most of us have lost our belief in work. We felt the pain of being excluded from informal networks, the stress of trying to keep up with the pace of change, or burnout after putting in countless hours to get the next promotion, only to be overlooked or disillusioned with cutthroat corporate cultures. We're tired of accepting the myth that individual advancement must come at a cost to ourselves and the people we work with. I want my workplace to change, but there isn't anything I can do to change it, a manager once said to me with complete sincerity. But we are our workplaces. We rely on each other to survive and flourish. So understanding how to make your workplace work for you starts with understanding your place within it. How Work Works, my new book, details what it takes to advance at work, but more importantly, how we derive fulfillment from what we do and contribute beyond a job description. In today's episode, my business partner and dear friend, Selena Shuresh, will be joining me on the show to discuss how we can find greater meaning and fulfillment in our careers and navigate this new world of work. So, Michelle, you wrote The Fix, and I know that I'm dying to know what inspired and made you want to write this second book, How Work Works. So for me, The Fix was a great sort of starting point for explaining how workplaces don't work for everybody. You know, I'm so sick of the sort of need to fix or change women to fit into workplaces that were never really designed for them in the first place. And I think I made a pretty compelling case about all the barriers women encounter and that men encounter because of inequality at work. So that was a great starting point for understanding how workplaces work. But I think the evolution of that is really to give people a roadmap for doing it differently. I think a lot of people are tired of diversity, equity and inclusion. They're tired of, you know, really being told that 
things are going to get better, but we just don't see that. Burnout rates are really high. People are quitting. And, you know, we're really struggling to find meaning and fulfillment from what we do. So what I wanted to show everybody is how the world of work actually has changed. The future is here. You know, we always talk about the future of work, but it's actually here. Interestingly, all the research tells us that it requires a much more inclusive way of working. So I wanted to share with people the good news that, you know, inclusion really is the future of work. And secondly, you know, how do you navigate this new world of work in a way that advances your career, that gives you fulfillment, but more importantly, that also enables your coworkers to be successful. So I think the win-lose approach to work is out and it's definitely a win-win. And that's what this book really reveals. I really love that. You talk about the new world of work. What do you mean by that? What is the new world of work? And also the reference to the fact that workplaces have changed. How so? So the new world of work, for me, kind of simply put, is much more informal. So when we look at all the changes that are currently underway, and when people talk about the future of work, they often talk about these changes as if they're coming, but they're not coming. The changes are here And for me, a lot of the changes that are currently underway, and by the way, these changes are happening simultaneously in a pace we've never really experienced before, they include sort of this demand for increased technical skills. So we're sort of seeing across the board because of AI, because of automation, we're really seeing this greater demand for people who have advanced technical skills. But the interesting thing about that is even if you are somebody who works with technology, you have those technical skills. At the same time, there's also greater demand for you to have advanced social and emotional skills. And one of the reasons is that even in technical roles, it's very unlikely. In fact, there's a tiny percentage of roles where people go to work and just do a job, you know, or just complete a list of tasks. Invariably, you have to work with other people to achieve outcomes. And in fact, research finds about 83% of us have to work with other people to achieve outcomes. So while there is this demand for technical skills, that's happening at the same time that there's a huge demand for social and emotional skills. In fact, research finds 75% of your career success depends on advanced social skills, right? And so what we need to do is recognize that collaboration is king, your ability to work with others and typically people who don't look like you, that is absolutely critical. And I think the second thing we're saying just on that is the diversification of talent. And I would add to that like customers or consumers. So we're saying globally, you're going to work with people, you're going to work for people who don't look like you, don't share your background. And that requires, again, advanced social and emotional skills. We also know that the new hybrid world of work, love it, hate it, whatever your view is on it, it's likely that's going to be a feature of the future world of work. So even though some companies have called people back into the office for four days a week, it's likely some version of hybrid working is here to stay. Why does that matter? Well, hybrid working is a lot more informal It's very, very difficult to manage the social and emotional aspects, collaborate with people in a hybrid or virtual work environment. So to give you an example, if you're having a meeting on Zoom, you can't really tell what sort of context your colleagues operating in. You're just seeing them on a really small square on Zoom. It's very hard to read their nonverbal body language because nine times out of 10, that's not even in the frame of what you're seeing. It's hard to understand their tone or what's kind of not being said in a virtual environment. So it makes it a lot harder to manage the collaborative aspects of sort of your informal interactions. 
it also is a lot harder to bond in a virtual environment. So our need for collaboration is increasing at a time when the way we're working is making that a lot harder. And then I think finally, workplaces are just becoming a lot more informal. So there's a ton of research that shows companies are becoming a lot less hierarchical, so really flat organizational structures. And in fact, what's happening now and will increasingly over the next 10 years is mid-level management roles are disappearing. So those roles are becoming less needed. What we're going to have a lot more of is self-managing teams. So it's very likely that the people you work with in your team increasingly are going to play a really critical role in determining your career advancement, your pay, your performance reviews. So again, in this informal environment, knowing how to manage your relationships at work, having those sort of advanced social and emotional skills are absolutely critical. So that is the new world of work. And I think my big kind of message to everybody is, you know, we're all scared that AI or automation is going to take away our job. I think what's much more likely, at least in, in the next decade, is that technological advancements are going to change how most of us work. So the how of work is much more important than the what. So how you work is much more important than simply what you do, because how enables the what. So how we interact, how we collaborate determines the extent to which we can innovate, problem solve and create. So knowing how to manage the how of work is a critical skill set. In fact, it is the skill set for navigating this new world of work. So the fact that the new world of work is essentially already here and you talk about the social emotional skills needed, can you break that down further? Like what specific skills are we talking about in terms of navigating this new world of work and the increasingly informal environments that we're operating? You know, it's such a good question because I think a lot of people talk really broadly and I know listeners will be going, okay, so what do I have to do specifically, Michelle, give it to me. So when we look at managing the informal side of work or managing the how of work, what it really comes down to is knowing how to manage your interactions with other people. And my research really looked at in the informal side of working life. So in any company, you're going to have an informal side to any formal aspects of work. So I'll give you a quick example. Your company can have a formal promotion process, a formal development process, but what sits alongside that is an informal system or informal way of working. And so to manage the how of work, you need to know how workplaces work. And for me, that comes down to four things. You've got to understand how informal networks work, because in a world where collaboration is king, knowing how to manage your connections with people is absolutely critical. And that happens in informal networks. You've got to understand how people share information informally. So information is how we come to understand ourselves and our workplaces, plays a critical role in self-awareness. And then thirdly, you've got to understand how to manage your career. So in the new world of work, you cannot rely on your workplace to manage your career. You have to know how to manage your own development, right? You have to know how to learn on the job, how to behave in a new way. You've got to understand all of those aspects of work. And then finally, you know, when it comes to career advancement, because most of us won't remain with the same employer, you can't really look to just go up a career ladder and move from position to position. You've got to understand how do I manage my informal career advancement, both in my organization and outside of it. And so the book really covers those four things, informal networks, informal information sharing, informal development and informal advancement. 
In saying that, in the conclusion, I really wanted to share how we derive greater meaning and fulfillment from work. So I don't know when it happened, but it suddenly became really uncool to care about work. So you'll see all these memes, you'll see all these jokes about people really talking about different ways that they're quite quitting, that they are putting in the bare minimum. And what we miss with that is that we are our workplaces and the meaning and fulfillment you derive from work is really important because, you know, outside of sleeping works where we spend the most number of hours over our lifetime, whether that's depressing for you or not, it's true. And so deriving meaning from work is really how we derive meaning from life. And so knowing how to do that is really important. So I share a ton of research on that as well. So getting stuck in then to the specifics, as we said, I know the listeners and myself are desperate to know exactly what we can do. And so when it comes to, you talk about that first piece, the informal networks, how do we develop them? If you as a listener take away one thing from this, it's that informal networks really, really, really matter. So informal networks include a list of anybody at work that you go to for informal information, informal advice, or social support. So if you need information on how to do your job, who do you go to? If you want advice on what to do with your career, what to do with your role, how to navigate sort of a difficult situation at work, who do you go to? And if you're having a rough day and you want to talk it through with somebody, who do you reach out to? So that list of people who do one or all of those three things, that's your informal network. And so if you were to write that list down, and you can do it now if you're listening, as long as you're not driving, have a look at that list. The first question I want you to ask yourself is how different or similar are the people on your list to you? So if you compare yourself to everybody on the list, how different or similar is everybody? And the reason you want to try and understand that is having a diverse network is absolutely critical. So often when we think of informal networks, you know, we'll think of like going to a cocktail hour and handing over a business card and formally introducing ourselves to people, but that's not really what informal networks are. They're really the people you reach out to for those three things. And typically people like to connect with people who are similar to them. The problem with that is the world of work has changed and having a diverse network is really important when it comes to career advancement because 80% of jobs are not advertised and 70% of jobs are really secured through your informal network. So if you only have a network of people who look like you, that means you're really relying on those people to be the ones to give you access to job opportunities. And as workplaces become more diverse, you can't rely on one type of person to support you. You need to diversify your network. That's literally your employment strategy, if you like. So you know, having a diverse network is critical. And typically research finds if you're the person who's always introducing yourself to other people, it's likely you're going to be introducing yourself to people who are similar to you because we like people who are similar to us. So what you want to do is sort of intentionally think about how can I reach out and connect with people for information, advice, or support who maybe don't look like me. And those individuals play quite a critical role in introducing you to other people who don't look like you or share your background. So the more you can do that, the more you diversify your network. The second thing I want people to think about is when you look at your list, think about who in this list is somebody who I know for sure has my best interest at heart. 
So in academia, we call these mutually beneficial relationships, right? Where you know the person has got your back, they've got your best interest at heart. And the reason that matters is 90% of all anxiety at work is really boils down to about 5% of people in your informal network. So most of your anxiety is spent on a really small number of people. And the reason that is, is those are individuals where you typically are unsure whether they've got your back or not. So you spend a huge amount of mental and emotional energy trying to work out if this is somebody who supports you. So what you want to do is to avoid that, be really clear on who has my back and who doesn't. Because if somebody doesn't have your back, you already know that. So you're not likely to invest your time and energy in those relationships. But it's the ones that are ambiguous that you actually need to stop investing in. So research typically tells us that most people, while you might want a massive network, you can't, right? There's just not the time and not the resources available for you to connect with everybody. So you have to be selective about where you're developing your relationships. And most networks are really anywhere between 12 to 25 people. That's a good size network. That takes a lot of time and energy to manage those relationships. So you need to think about, am I investing in relationships that are mutually beneficial or am I investing in relationships that actually cause me quite a bit of anxiety? And then the third thing you want to think about is often when we think of informal networking, people sort of mistake it for needing to have a bunch of really close relationships. I'm here to tell you that you don't actually need that. So typically you need about one person to give you access to information, one person you can rely on for support, and about two people you can go to for advice. And if you just start there and then build your network out, you're doing pretty well. And in that, you want to have a mix of people who are close, sort of two to three people who you're close to and meet with on a regular basis. And then the rest of your network can be made up of what we call sort of loose ties or people who you meet with informally and you catch up with occasionally, more acquaintances. And the reason that matters, those acquaintances matter, is because they give you access to information about job opportunities. So typically most of those job opportunities, the 70% that I talked about earlier, you know, that comes through people who you know, but you don't catch up with and reveal everything to or, or have a very close relationship with. So developing those connections matters. So have a look at your list and try and work out how many close relationships do I have? And are the rest more acquaintances? Because that's that's a pretty good mix. So that's really where I would start with my informal network. The one thing I would say is we know that typically people don't spend the time mapping their network. So just literally writing down who's in your network, who do you go to for what, how diverse is it, are they mutually beneficial, do I have a mix of sort of close or more informal relationships, just doing that activity is a great starting point for managing your network. That is like a fascinating exercise. And actually, I've been scribbling away names and already starting to map it out. You talk about informal information and, you know, going to different members of those informal networks for informal information. Why is that so important? If we think about informal information, it's just sort of a fancy academic term for understanding what's going on in an organization understanding why certain people get opportunities, why they get promoted, how people see you. And informal information, your ability to access and understand what's going on in your organization really matters because it's the one thing that builds self-awareness. So self-awareness is the gap between how we see ourselves when it comes to our thoughts, feelings, and behaviors and how other people see us. 
And what research typically finds is that about 95% of people think they're really self-aware, right? But in effect, only about 15% of people are. So we have what we call the self-awareness gap, right? And in one study by Harvard Business Review, they found that about 90% of people could name at least one person who lacked self-awareness in their organization or in their team, but they were pretty sure that person wasn't them, right? So we've got a major self-awareness gap that exists in workplaces. And the reason it matters is when it comes to self-awareness, you can generally fall into one of three categories. So you can be somebody who is self-aware, but you can also be somebody who overestimates the positive impact of your behaviors, thoughts, and feelings. And you can be somebody who underestimates the positive impact of your thoughts, feelings, and behaviors. So the reason it matters is having one overestimator in your team reduces your team's performance by 50%. Now that's a shocking statistic, right? And the reason that matters is it's hard to work with somebody who thinks they're amazing and won't accept feedback. You know, there's one lovely academic study that refers to those types of people as competent jerks, right? People who just don't want to accept the feedback, don't want to manage the impact their behavior is having. And there's a huge push for people to just be themselves at work. But what I think we miss is we need to be our best selves at work, which means managing the impact our behavior has. And that requires self-awareness. That requires understanding the gap. Yes, you may have thought you did a great job on that, but how did everybody else perceive your behavior? And so I think for me, what I would say to people is the first starting point is recognizing that given just the stats on this, it's likely most people have to develop their self-awareness. Like we're talking about 95% of people here. So I would say just as a good practice, except that you probably aren't as self-aware as you think you are, And in order to develop self-awareness, what I would encourage people to do, there's one great activity, which is a study found if you take 15 minutes a day for 10 days and ask yourself the following questions, you know, what went well today? What didn't go so great today? And what could I do differently? If you ask yourself those three what questions every day for 10 days, you're likely to increase your self-awareness by about 23 to 25%. Now, that might not sound like a lot to people, but but it actually is because it's such a short period of time. It's 10 days. So if you made that a regular practice beyond 10 days, you know, you're likely to see a significant increase in your self-awareness. And interestingly, the study found that what derails self-awareness is asking yourself why questions. So why did that happen? Why did my boss give me that feedback? And so what you want to try and avoid doing is any navel gazing, right? Spending hours trying to analyze why things happened. Instead, you want to really stick to what questions. So what worked, what didn't, what could I do differently? And then move on. So that's self-awareness. The other thing I would say is just try and not make this process weird. You know, we tend to make feedback weird. And I think for me, with the self-awareness to close the gap, you're really looking for regular, in-the-moment kind of feedback. And then feedback's become such a term, right? People associate it with dread. And it's less about feedback, more about information, right? So while you can practice your self-awareness exercise, what are you doing to then also understand how other people see you? So for me, that comes down to regularly in the moment, seeking out information on how you're going. So if you run a presentation you're leaving the room, ask your what questions. So, hey, what did you think went well? What do you think I could do differently? You know, what maybe didn't work for you? 
And sticking to those what questions with other people will really help you get a sense of where any gaps lie, right? And try not to sort of put judgment on it, just accept it as, okay, that's data, that's information on where the gap lies. What could you do to close that? So the more we can ask the what questions, both of ourselves and others, the more we'll get a sense of what we need to do differently. I think that's a great starting point for what you refer to as taking control and managing our own development. So my follow-on question to that is really, when it comes to career advancement, what are we missing? Yeah, look, I know we don't have a ton of um, time, so I'm going to whiz through this. I think when it comes to informal development, my main message to everybody is the book goes into sort of how you develop the skills and what those skills are for the new world of work and typically social skills. And I shared sort of earlier on how informal development is really about learning on the job. So most of us, when we think about development, we sort of wait for our company to put us on some formal course. But research finds 70% of all learning happens informally and on the job. And actually your potential to advance in your workplace depends on your ability to learn new skills on the job. Now, when we think about, well, what are those skills? We know that 75% of your career success depends on your ability to learn soft skills. And only 25% is down to technical skills. So we know that you have to really try and learn soft skills. Well, the soft skills are all the skills related to navigating this new world of work, those social and emotional skills, how you build connections, how you manage your informal networks, how you share information. And I think what's critical is to think about, well, how can I learn and trial some of these new behaviors as part of my job? So the one thing we know is that for anybody who's not convinced about the importance of knowing how to learn on the job, I would just want you to really think about the fact that half your total wealth depends on your ability to learn on the job. And 75% of all learning that happens on the job really happens in one of three ways. So the first is, most people, when it comes to learning how to manage the informal side of working life, learn that by observing. So they'll have a look at how people behave and, you know, they'll try and observe that. And while that's okay to kind of observe leaders or high potential or people you think are successful at work, what they're doing, and then copy that, the problem is a lot of people are behaving in really outdated ways. And so just observing what everybody else does doesn't really make sense. I think what we need to do is to think about, well, how can we practice through trial and error? So how can we give new ways of working a go and learn through practice? So a lot of studies show, like with your informal networks, taking that and applying it in your job through trial and error and seeing what works, what doesn't, to diversify your network, to build mutually beneficial relationships, that's how you learn. And so I would say to people, getting feedback, getting regular feedback, learning from your peers is absolutely critical. That's how you will advance your career. That's how you will continue to grow. And I think what we have to do is really start to see our peers as our teachers, right? They're the people who are going to help us learn And so in the book, I share a great model for how to give and receive feedback. 
as a way to try and learn. So I'd encourage people to think about the importance of the role that their peers play. And and that kind of comes back to informal networks and why they play such an important role in helping us develop, because those people are going to give you feedback on how effective your behaviors have been. So learning on the job really is one of trial and error. It's learning through feedback and observing plays a role, but just be careful around who you're observing because they might be engaging in behaviors that are actually a little bit outdated. There's so much there and so many practices for us to go away and take forward in our day to day. I want to come back to you mentioned that you can kind of conclude the book on this note of finding meaning and fulfillment. So going beyond the skills that we need to acquire, how do we do that? So when we think about career success, the Latin word for success is exitus. It means to exit. And success is really about how we exit, what we leave behind. And we often think of success in terms of like a paycheck, in terms of a a job title, when in reality, success is actually subjective, right? It's how we feel about our workplaces. And for a lot of us, our definition of career success has changed because careers have. Most of us have to manage our own careers. We have to engage in lifelong learning. We have to try and continually upskill and be employable. And all of that means we actually have to manage our own career success. Your success is not tied to just making it up some imaginary career ladder, right? I mean, it's really about knowing whether or not your needs are being met by your employer. And so one study found that the needs most of us have when it comes to work include five primary needs. So the first is feeling physically and psychologically safe, which makes sense. That's sort of a bare minimum. You want to feel safe when you're at work. I think the second thing is if you do feel safe, do you belong? So do you feel connected to your workplace and the people in it? And if you feel connected, you're then much more likely to be able to make a meaningful contribution. So to contribute beyond just the tasks in your job description. And the more you contribute, the more you probably want to contribute. So then sort of the fourth need is do you have the freedom to learn and develop? And as you're learning and developing and contributing, you know, are you being recognized for that? So the fifth need is recognition as a competent professional. So I think success is really about your ability to make sure that you're meeting those needs. And so into the book, I really share how you can manage your career to meet those needs. So I talk about the importance of knowing your why for work why you do what you do, which of those needs are more important to you, how to meet those needs. Then secondly, knowing who can help you advocate for your career, people who can give you informal advice, guidance, advice, support, and really stick their necks out to give you access to those informal job opportunities and advocate for you. And then finally, I talk about knowing how to manage your reputation, because in this new world of work where things are so informal, Your reputation really is your currency when it comes to your employability. But all of that to say that still, while that might be a fulfilling career, it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be meaningful. So if we think about meaning specifically, research finds that meaning for people at work is dependent on the extent to which they feel connected to their colleagues. Most of us want meaning and we want it really badly. I think nine out of 10 people, according to one research study, would give up quite a significant amount of 
earnings for greater meaning at work. So in some cases, it was as much as people spend on housing, they've been willing to give up for greater meaning at work. And we want meaning. I think what we need to recognize is meaning is something we can actually give to ourselves and each other. So when you look at how do you make your workplace meaningful, it's often by paying it forward. So in academia, the term is organizational citizenship behaviors. But what it really comes down to is doing something helpful for the people that you work with. So finding ways to support them, to connect with them, to help them develop their careers, to give them feedback, to help diversify their networks. The more you can pay it forward to your colleagues, you're much more likely to feel connected to your workplace. You're much more likely to derive meaning. Now, anybody thinking this sounds a little woo-woo, it, it really isn't. So if you're a person paying it forward, say you go out of your way to diversify your network, connect to people who don't look like you, research finds people observing you doing that are going to then pay it forward to you. So not only have you paid it forward and therefore you derive greater meaning, the person you're connecting to is then also going to see you paying it forward and pay it back to you. But anyone observing you is then also going to pay it forward, right? It's like you're getting it from sort of three directions. And that's why it has this compounding effect. The more small day-to-day acts of kindness, of paying it forward, of being intentional about providing help, support, advice, information, being a good network member, the more you can do all of those things, you're much more likely to feel connected to your workplace and therefore you're much more likely to find your work meaningful. So for me, just recognize and remember that meaning is something we give to ourselves and each other by paying it forward. So the more you pay it forward, the more you're actually paying it to yourself. Thank you so much for sharing so much exclusive content. I can't wait to get my hands on it. Well, thank you so much for the interview. It's been great. Aside from sleep, work is where we spend the most of our waking hours over our lifetime. How we experience work is how we experience a considerable amount of our lives, which is why managing the meaning we derive from work is essential to our overall life satisfaction. Knowing how your workplace works is how you can begin to make it work for everyone. For anyone who's pre-ordered a copy of How Work Works, I have something special in store for you. Selena and I have built a career e-journal, which has over 52 exercises, advice, and tips for managing your career. You can access and download this career e-journal by visiting my website, michellepeking.com. I really hope you enjoyed today's episode. A quick one before you go, if you love my podcast and you'd like more, then hit subscribe now and leave a review. Your support means so much. Thank you for tuning in today. And if you're interested in partnering with me or being a guest on the show, then please reach out through my website, thefixpodcast.org. You can also sign up to my monthly newsletter and contribute your story there. Thanks again for tuning in and I'll catch you all again next week.